please stand for the reading of God's Word. Today's reading comes from Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase, the words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Josh. You can have a seat as you do, and I encourage you to grab your Bible, open it up to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, as we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. And to kind of recap for you, we'll finish the book of Ecclesiastes uh, right before summer. So if you have one of those Ecclesiastes journals, great. That'll be a cool resource for you to look back on in your own study or to look back on and see what the Lord's done um, in your life over this spring, um, winter and spring months. Um, And as we've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, we've seen this reality that Solomon, gifted with remarkable spiritual wisdom, um, has looked at life under the sun to try and find satisfaction for his heart um, in the things of the earth, the things under the sun. And he's showing us that we have to turn our eyes up beyond the things under the sun onto God who is beyond the sun. And he's made some observations about mankind along the way. And specifically today, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, we see him say, uh, when you lift your eyes off of the things under the sun onto that God who is above all things, who sits on his throne, who is beyond the created world, but created it and intimately is involved in it, when you do, how should you? How should you look upon the God who created everything under the sun, who sits and rules above all of it on his throne? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I want to ask you this question. If you were to uh, find yourself in a kingdom, so if we're going to go medieval or something like that, um, or even if you want to go like a like modern-day England, um, and, and you were a citizen of that kingdom, and you had an appointment with the king, or in England, say, the queen, you had an appointment with the king, you were going to meet with them in person, how would you prepare yourself for that experience? Would you prepare yourself? Would you be like, oh, it's, no, it's just a random old person, not a big deal? No, you wouldn't. Because a king or a queen, even in an earthly sense, carries with them a whole lot that changes how we prepare ourselves for that meeting. It changes how we will conduct ourselves before that king. It it determines and and changes what we will say and how we will say it. It determines and, and leads us to ask the questions of, how am I going to listen to or heed the words of this king or queen? Why? Why? Because there's reverence for a king or a queen. We see this throughout the Bible as it walks through the kings. Specifically, one that comes to mind is Esther, who's not in Israel, but is in Babylon. 
And she's going to enter the king's presence, and it's a terrifying, fearful moment. She could be killed for what she's about to do in entering the king's presence, for what she's about to say. It would change if you were to have a meeting with a king. It would, you would, if not, you're a fool, but you would prepare yourself for that meeting. What am I going to say? How am I going to dress? What am I going to do when I'm in there? How do I stand? If you were to meet with the Queen of England, they give you specific guidelines and instructions. These are things you don't do. Americans are really bad at it. You can look at videos and see American, particularly famous people, who break royal code and like hug the Queen or things like that that are not appropriate in that context. How you carry yourself, how you prepare yourself, how you posture your mind, what you do in that interaction and your words and how you listen to their words or instructions, all are different than how you might sit next to a friend at a coffee shop and have a conversation. Because they're a king. You would consider your whole preparation your time in their presence, and your obedience to their words. This same thing is true when it comes to our posture when we go before our mighty and majestic God. There should be a sense of fear of the Lord or the King. And so as we walk through this passage about how we enter the presence of the God who is above the sun, Solomon gives us some guidance. And this is the main point for the morning. Worship that pleases the Lord is reverent and honest. Worship that pleases the Lord is reverent and it is honest. And so as we walk through this, Solomon's been on his quest. He's made observations about mankind under the sun. And he looks at how mankind worships the God who is beyond the sun. And he makes two particular observations that point out how mankind's worship oftentimes finds itself in a place of vanity or emptiness or meaningless. Not just in that it is meaningless for mankind, but it is empty and vanity. It does nothing for the heart of man when we enter the presence of God in worship in the ways that he is going to explain that mankind were. And we're going to see this in two points. When it comes to us entering the presence of the Lord in worship, worship that's pleasing to Him is reverent and honest, so it is better to listen than to speak. That's the first point we're going to look at. It's better to listen than to speak, and two, it's better to obey than to promise. It's better to listen than to speak, and it's better to obey than to promise. And so we're going to see along the way here, what uh, we as mankind often find ourselves in, meaning, meaningless, empty, vain worship. But before we do that, let's define what the idea of fearing the Lord looks like. What does this reverence mean? And so the fear of the Lord does not mean formality, like you need to dress in a particular way. The, the, the fear of the Lord is not a concern of just what's going on on the outside and being formal. The fear of the Lord con communicates this idea of respect and an honesty in our worship. A reverence and an awe 
This isn't a kind of terror fear, like, like you should run away and cower behind a rock because you're afraid of a dragon's breath of fire to destroy you. No, that's not the kind of fear that the Bible's talking about in the fear of the Lord. It's this idea of we're seeing God for who He really is. His might, His power, His sovereignty. We're seeing Him as the creator of all things who spoke everything into, into being, whose kingdom is never-ending and ha- it, it spreads across the whole world. His rule and reign is unmatched by any. We're seeing Him for who He is and The fear of the Lord means that we see ourselves for who we really are. And that creates, seeing God for who He is and seeing ourselves for who we really are combines together to create this fear of the Lord. To enter His presence with respect, with reverence, with awe. To to enter into worship with humility. To take being in the presence of God in worship serious at a level that impacts our very hearts. Think about Isaiah who enters the throne room of God in a vision and he sees it and he describes this really wild picture of the throne room of God. And his first words are, Woe to me for I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. He sees in reality who this mighty, powerful God is. And in response, what does he see? Who he really is. And he's humbled. He doesn't run away. The the fear of the Lord doesn't change if you come before God. But it does change how you come before God. And so the idea of the fear of the Lord is to have reverence and awe for who He is in respect to who you are and to enter His presence, to draw near, we'll see in just a few minutes. In fear of the Lord changes how we do that. Not if we do. Not if we come into His presence, but how we do. So as we look at this, we're going to see this in two parts. Two instructions or exhortations, two commanding instructions forced from Solomon, from his observations of how mankind under the sun have entered the presence of the Lord in worship, and in it we learn these two ways of entering the presence of the Lord that are pleasing to him. And the first one is, it's better to listen than to speak. So let's look at this in verses 1 through 3. It's better to listen than to speak. When we enter the presence of the Lord. Fear of the Lord will produce a posture of humility and listening, not a posture of speaking first. And here's what Ecclesiastes 5, 1-3 says. Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Draw near to listen, is, or to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter words before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with much or with many words. His first instructions in this idea of it's better when you enter the, how, the, the presence of God to listen and to speak is to guard your steps. What he's getting at here is that entering into the presence of the Lord in worship, in a gathering sense, 
is not to be taken lightly. When we gather with God's people to sing, when we gather to pray, when we worship and hear from Him through His preached and read Word, when you create space in your day for personal worship as you sit with the Lord in silence and you open His Word and you read and you pray, when you do those things, these are not mere ordinary moments of life. They are ordinary, like singing's not bizarre or like out there. I mean, although I don't know anybody else other than people who worship, who get together to sing to something that's supernatural. Concerts, maybe, of course, is not supernatural. The only other place where people gather to sing. But when we, when we do these things, we're not doing ordinary things. There are times where we're intentionally aiming to meet with, engage with, to sit in the presence of a mighty, majestic, holy creator of the universe. That everything in this moment is supernatural. It is entering into the presence of a king and there's no one more significant that you could meet with to be in the presence of than God. It's not ordinary. And so we ought to, like he says, guard our steps to be watchful. To have personal awareness of what's going on inside of us when and before we come into His presence. See, this, this watchfulness, this guarding your steps, doesn't mean, hey, hang back, or hey, don't come in. His exhortion, His exhortation to us is to guard your steps and to, what's the next thing? Draw near. The idea of being watchful, personally aware of what's going on inside of you as you step into this not ordinary, supernatural, spiritual moment with the creator of the universe is that we ought to be careful and watchful and draw near. You see, uh, I want to encourage you towards something, and it's this right here, the Seeing Jesus Together journal. If you haven't got one of these, they're free, they're back there, grab one on your way out today. Particularly, I want to encourage you towards the back third section of it. It's called Seeing Jesus at the Weekly Church Gathering. That this section of this journal is aimed specifically at when you gather with God's people. How do you prepare for that? And there's some good, helpful instructions that help you walk through this process of when you meet with the Lord to posture your heart where you see who He is and you see who you are and you humbly come into His presence with the fear of the Lord to draw near to Him. Also, the other portions, when you're doing this in solitude, when you're by yourself, or when you do this in, in groups of two or three, that it postures you in a place where you are watchful. You're considering your heart before you draw near to God. Super helpful resource and tool. Most of us, if we find ourselves in a place where we are practicing the spiritual disciplines around God's Word and prayer, we neglect to consider our heart before we do that. We just dive in. It's like jumping into the deep end of the swimming pool. And what Solomon's guidance for us is this. Guard your steps. Consider your heart and then draw near to the Lord to listen, 
to be in His presence, and to listen. This is Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That if fullness of joy and pleasure, delight, forevermore, is available in the presence of God, we ought to want to be near Him. But we, often, we need to enter His presence with a level of reverence and awe, with a level of fear of realizing who He is and who you are as you step humbly into His presence. What Solomon observes is the opposite in the worship that mankind, people in his life, would enter the temple to worship the Lord. He says they would enter, they wouldn't consider their hearts, they wouldn't guard their steps, they wouldn't draw near to listen, they would come in and offer foolish, which literally means stupid, sacrifices, that were evil. They would be rash with their mouth, speaking boldly without thinking what they're saying. They'd be hasty to utter from their hearts words before God without considering who He is in heaven and who we are on earth. They would offer foolish sacrifices. And here's the deal. The sacrifices they were offering in form were not wrong. Like even if, in, if we're looking at Israel in the temple to go in and make a physical sacrifice for sin and do it according to the law. There's nothing wrong with doing the act. Like every, Somebody else could be doing the exact same thing and it's pleasing and honoring to the Lord. The problem here is not the form of sacrifice. It's not that you're singing. It's not that you're reading. It's not that you're praying. The problem here is that there's no heart or head involvement in this kind of worship. It's foolish. There's no intellectual, emotional, spiritual engagement in that worship. You're just doing the physical things that you think are necessary to please the Lord, but it's empty, it's vain, it's worthless, it's meaningless to go through the motions, to live dishonest in your worship. Specifically, he uses in both of these two passages that we're going to look at, 1 through 3 and 4 through 7, he uses this idea of a dream. And he's not saying like you go into some trance in worship or that you have some like ambition that's like lofty and crazy. No, he's saying it's like a dream. And here's the deal in a dream, what's happening? What's happening in a dream internally does not match what's happening externally, right? That, that what's going on, the reality of the world around you is inconsistent with what's going on in your head, and you're totally blind to it because you're sleeping, right? That there's an inconsistency between the inner person in a dream and the external reality of the circumstance. This is like, have you ever had a dream where you were falling? Were you really? No. Was it terrifying? Maybe. Like, why? Because in your head it feels so real, this inner sense, but it does not match, it's inconsistent with the external. It's dishonest. It's not true. This is why we wake people up who are having nightmares. Because what you need to do in that moment is wake them up to the reality that what you're internally experiencing is not real. And you're anxious and you're fearful and you're sweating and you're shaking and you're screaming and hey, there's nothing to, for any of that to happen. You don't need to have any of that going on right now. You're safe. It's okay. And to bring this honesty between the inner and the external being, 
in that moment. And what Solomon's getting at here is that there's this kind of dreamful worship where the internal being, the heart, does not match the external action of sacrifice. That these people would go in and say things they think that God wants them to say, and they would offer sacrifices that the, the Old Testament law would offer them or tell them to offer. But what's happening outside of them, externally, what they're doing does not match, is inconsistent with their own heart. It's dishonest. It's dream worship. It's empty, meaningless worship. Quick words, external actions, zero heart engagement. Zero intellectual thought meditation of what's happening here. No reflection on who God is and who I am. It's just 100% meaningless, inconsistent, dishonest. I'm doing what I'm supposed to on the outside, my out- and the inside is completely different. And what Solomon's instructing here is this. It's better that we listen. We enter his presence with a humble, awe-reverent posture to hear from the Lord than it is for us to act empty, meaningless worship that's inconsistent with the present reality of our hearts. So what do we do? What do we do if what's happening with us when we gather with God's people externally does not match what's happening internally with us? where our internal being is completely apathetic, but our external actions are engaged. What do we do? If we find ourselves in this reality of dream worship instead of fearful, awe, honest heart worship. Well, I would encourage you that we begin to start preparing our hearts before we ever commune with God. To use the CBR journal or to stop and sit Pause, pray before you proceed. To pause, to pray before you step into the presence of the Almighty Creator of the universe who wants you to draw near. To pause, to pray, to bring your heart honestly before the Lord before you proceed. And then your aim and goal to match what Solomon's getting here, that when we draw near to the Lord... It's to listen, to hear His voice, not to speak or to offer anything to God as if He needed it, but to enter His presence, to be in His presence, to draw near and to hear His voice. And when we listen and hear, to be honest with the Lord, to be honest with the Lord. We've all, if you've been in church for much time, you've experienced or you've seen or you've done uh, the foolish thing of using lots of words that are not honest. And he specifically talks about that in this passage. The fool's voice has many words. We don't know what to say. My heart's disconnected from what's going on outside, so I'm just going to talk a bunch. (laughs) It's better to just be short and simple. That's what he's saying. Short, simple, sweet, honest. God, I just am not feeling it today. I don't know why. Will you just take that and move? 
God, I'm, I'm angry. To, to be honest with the Lord when we draw into His presence and to listen and, and, and receive whatever it is that He has to say to you. The first thing that we see here when it comes to worship that's pleasing to the Lord, it's reverent and honest and it listens before it speaks. The second thing we see here is that in, it, he says in verses 4 through 7 is it's better to obey than to promise. That it's better for us to obey what we see or hear from the Lord when we are in His presence than it is for us to make promises to the Lord. Let's look at verses 4 through 7. It says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you owe, or what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say before the messenger or angel that, is, that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. The second exhortation that Solomon gives from his observation of how mankind, people, have lifted their eyes off the things under the earth, or under the sun, on the earth, to the God who created it all, is specifically revolving around the tendency that we have to make empty promises to God in the faces of our sin that we either cannot or don't actually intend on keeping. You think about the person who's gone through a really rough spot, like, Life's kind of falling apart all around them, and they're about to, or they find themselves in hit rock bottom moments. Oftentimes, it leads to them asking questions and really beginning to consider the things of God. Consider God and death and eternity. And in that moment of crisis, in the middle of it, maybe it's they or a loved one is like super seriously sick, or, or maybe it's an emergency situation, like they're in a car accident and they're trapped, or, or something like that. I think of one, Martin Luther, the reformer, not the um, American civil rights activist, but the guy who he's named after from the 14, 1500s. Um, he was just a selfish, vain, aimed to be a lawyer, super wealthy guy, finds himself traveling across the German land in a terrifying storm lightning striking all around him, and he gets struck by lightning and falls down on his face, and he makes a vow to God in that moment. He says, God, if you will like get me through this, I will give you my entire life. And he makes a promise to God in the midst of a crisis moment, struck by lightning, laying down on the ground. And he makes a vow and promise to God. And oftentimes these moments lead us to turn to God, but because of sin in us, we tend to turn towards God like we're bartering something with Him. That our posture towards God is, is, is like bartering. We're going like, well, if you would, then I would, kind of thing. And, and to be clear, we'll get, in just a second, vows are not the problem here. The problem is that we make vows that we don't actually 
have the capability or intention to meet. And it often comes in phrases like this. God, if you will do this right now for me, then I will do this for you. That if you'll heal me from this, then I'll start going to church. If you'll take this away from me, then I'll give you my money. If you'll fix this broken relationship with my friend or my spouse, I'll never look at porn, I'll never tell another lie, I'll never sin in that particular way again. It's transactional. If you do this for me, God, then I will do this for you. And there's a few things wrong with this kind of interaction with God. At the core, it assumes that God needs something that you have to offer. Again, that's not the fear of the Lord because we're not seeing ourselves rightly and God rightly, right? At the core, it also desires and aimed to manipulate God for your current comfort or pleasure or peace or deliverance. And ultimately, at its core, it doesn't desire God. It desires the things of God or the power of God to work in your favor. That it's not worship. It's manipulation. And Solomon says this tendency of us in worship, the second tendency, it's better for us to obey. To do what we hear the Lord say than it is to make promises to God. Vows. And like I said, vows are not a bad thing. There's vows throughout the Bible. They're not the problem. You think about this, like, uh, Ezekiel says, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look at a lo- another woman with lustful intent. It's a vow. It's a promise to God for holy good things. And that's honored in God's word. Think about baby dedications. If you've ever been a part of or done a baby dedication, it's a promise. It's a vow that you make between God and his people and this child that you will raise this kid in a particular way. They're vows, and they're good vows. You think about a wedding. In a marriage, there are promises or vows between God and that spouse. And they're not wrong. They're not bad. The problem here is not vows. The problem here is foolish people who make vows they never intend on or cannot keep as a means of earning love and favor, particularly of God. Of using vows as a means to Earn the love and favor of God as if His love for you is based on your performance in a particular issue or place and a vow to keep it. And to be honest, most of us are really bad at keeping vows or promises. The the same thing that we saw in the first part is true here. There's an internal and external dishonesty. That there's an inconsistency in between what we're saying on the outside and what's present reality on the inside of who we are. That empty vows are foolish sin. They're dreamful worship. They're inconsistent. We make promises, lip services to God, in hopes that He'll be happy with us because of our lofty words and promises that we cannot or maybe have no intention to actually keep. So in the same way, our worship with God should not have these false realities like a dream 
or be make-believe or dishonest to the true state of our hearts that ought to be honest and reverent. Honest about what's actually taking place inside of us. So when we enter the presence of the Lord in fear, seeing Him for who He is, seeing ourselves for who we are, and we listen and don't speak, and we hear His voice, what should our response be? To make lofty promises or to obey? To obey. This is how this often plays out. We enter the presence of God, be that in our worship gathering or in our personal devotion, and the Holy Spirit does what He kindly does. He speaks. And He draws us to repentance. He convicts us, makes us aware of the inconsistencies of our heart towards sin and God. In His kindness, He brings about conviction. Not condemnation. That should produce faith in Jesus and salvation. Conviction for the Christian is bringing awareness to sin that is in us. And it's a kind gift from the Holy Spirit. To bring awareness so that He might draw us in that kindness to repentance. To not only see the fruit of that sinful action, but the heart level root of unbelief in God at its core. That we're trusting in that thing, that action, that belief, that place, that sin to provide me the comfort, approval, love, acceptance, security, and control that only God can give us and is only available to us in the gospel. To see that thing happening in our heart and then to turn from it to God where we find those things and have them already by faith in the gospel. That the Holy Spirit speaks, we enter His presence humbly, He speaks in His kindness, He convicts and He draws us to repentance so that we might, in confession and honesty, find joy by remembering that you are forgiven, that there is mercy and grace for you already by your faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit empowers you towards that obedience. That it's not fake in any regard. We're not making empty, lofty promises to God. We're being honest about the true condition of our heart that the Holy Spirit has made us aware of and we're in fear of the Lord. Who He is, who we are, humbly coming before Him, acknowledging our sin, remembering and, uh, that He's forgiven us, turning from it in faith and believing the gospel. And this whole thing moves us in action, in obedience. That instead of making empty promises because we feel bad about what we did, we own our sin in confession and repentance. We're reminded that we're loved, forgiven and, for, and forgiven, and have received grace by Jesus, and it moves us to action, to obedience, to be honest with God when He kindly speaks so that we would obey and not make empty promises to Him or vows. Okay, but, but Derek, what if I don't want to do what God tells me? What if I'm sitting here right now in this worship gathering and, and the Holy Spirit, like you said, Derek, has said, hey, there's some sin in your heart right here. 
what if I don't really want to deal with that right now? What if, what if he says, hey, you need to be doing X, Y, or Z, and I really don't want to do that? What do I do then, Derek? Do I just say, okay, God, I'll do that, and never actually intend on doing it? Making empty vows. Do I just ignore his voice? Hebrews says, when you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts like they did in the day of rebellion. Talking about Egypt in the Exodus. Do we just say, okay, God, I'll do that, and not actually intend on doing it? Or give any real effort of confession and repentance and empowered by the Holy Spirit obedience? Or do we just like, well, I know God told me to do that, but, you know, I don't really want to, so I'm just going to act like he didn't say it. Plead ignorance. No. If we take either posture of saying you'll do something God told you to do or ignoring his voice, we are hardening our own hearts to God, whom his presence is the fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore, evermore. So when we hear his voice, and we don't even desire what he has asked of us, we're honest about it. To be honest with the God of the universe about the true apathy that dwells inside your heart towards his word. Not to pretend or act like there's more in there than there is but to be honest about the apathy that's in you and to ask Him to work in your heart to deal with the apathy, to help you delight in the Word of the Lord and not in sin. To be honest before God when we hear Him speak about the true condition of our hearts. Not to live in dream world, but to be honest. It also leads us to be honest with other people. That in community, when we gather in the, for worship in the temple, like they did, when we gather with God's people in our worship gatherings, in our home groups, it's essential for our formation into the image of Jesus that we are honest with God and we are honest with one another. That we are, like we say at Trailview, courageously vulnerable with one another. That we courageously trust that it is better to worship the Lord with reverence and honesty than with vain, empty promises or quick words. So we don't lie. We don't save face. We don't try to perform for one another or pretend. We live courageously vulnerable with one another, and in that the Lord works for our spiritual formation into the image of Jesus. To in this moment, if the Lord is at work and you need help when we finish, to get up and come ask for help and be honest in it. Every week we have two ladies in the back and Pastor Brandon and myself in the back to sit with you in the midst of the honest work of the Holy Spirit. In your home groups, to be honest with one another and the Lord about what He's saying and about how you're dealing with it or pro- 
from processing it or struggling in obedience. For us, uh, there's a few things for us to take away from this. One, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, the only thing that there is is a trembling fear of the wrath of God. That He will judge sin. And He will separate the righteous from the unrighteous. Jesus died to provide a way into the presence of, to draw near into the presence of a majestic God. Not with a level of fear and trembling, but with reverence and awe. Not with cowering fear, but with a, a, a humble seeing of who He is and a humble seeing of who you are leading you into His presence, humble and needy to hear His voice and be formed into the image of Jesus. So my encouragement to you is this. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, that today you would. Today you would confess Him as Lord. That you would confess that you're a sinner and that you need Him for forgiveness of sin. That you believe in your heart that God sent Him to die on the cross for you and to rise from the dead so that you might have eternal life. So that you would have eternal life by faith in Him alone. That you would, for the very first time, see in the fear of the Lord your need for salvation and you would humbly come before Him. Honest and asking for Him to save you. My encouragement, if you've put your faith in Jesus, is that the gospel enables you and I. It, it doesn't only enable, it welcomes you and I into the presence of God to draw near in honesty because of this reality. Listen, the gospel says this, you are far more sinful than you are aware of. The gospel brings this awareness. The first one, you are far more sinful than you are ever aware of. This is why if you're a Christian, as you're growing, you become more aware of the depths and intertwining roots that get way down in you of sin and all the weird ways it shows itself. The gospel reveals to us that you are far more sinful than you are aware of. So sinful that it would require God himself to die to deal with on a cross. But here's the beauty of it. In the gospel... Not only are you aware that you are far more sinful than you're aware of, but you find that you are far more forgiven and loved than you're aware of. That we can be honest with God. Because yes, your sin is great, but like we sang last week, His mercy is more. That you are far more forgiven and loved than you will ever be aware of. As Ephesians would say, that we will spend eternity plunging the depths of His immeasurable, unmeasurable riches in kindness and grace towards us in Christ Jesus. That yes, you are far more sinful than you are aware of, but in Jesus you have way more forgiveness, far more forgiveness and love than you are aware of. So we can draw near in humble fear of the Lord and honesty in times of need. So we worship Him. 
in reverence and awe as we remember that, yes, we are sinful, but He is far more forgiving and loving than we are sinful. This is what Hebrews 12 says. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is an all-consuming fire. That the obedient response to seeing God for all that He is and seeing us for the honesty that we are should bring us into His presence, drawn near in worship that is pleasing, that is reverent, and that is honest because of who our God is. Because of how far more forgiven and loved we are than we are aware of today. So worship for us that is pleasing to the Lord isn't offering empty, vast words. It's not offering sacrifices that are empty or meaningless and just external. It's not coming in or entering in personally or being on a Sunday and entering into a bartering relationship with God where we're, uh, we're doing this transactional thing as we become aware of our sin. But no, it's humbly, because of the gospel, being honest with God about who you are and remembering that He is vastly more mighty, more powerful, and more loving than you'll ever understand and is willing, ready, and wants you to draw near and experience more and more of that grace that you already have by faith in Jesus. So worship that is pleasing to God. It's not empty words that sound good. It's not coming ready to say the right things. It's listening to the voice of the Lord. And when he speaks, it's not making promises that you'll do better. But it's to obey. And to be honest in that obedience along the way. Let me pray for us. I want to encourage you as we pray, that if you do need help, you need help entering honestly before the Lord in prayer. You want someone to pray with you, whatever that looks like. Um, that if you do, um, Pastor Brandon, myself, and a couple of our ladies will be in the back of the room, and we would love to sit down and talk with you. Um, my hope is that we would um, now worship uh, in an honest, reverent way. That we would be honest with the Lord about where we're at, and how we sing, and how we posture ourselves. Uh, that we would remember that we are far more forgiven in love than we're aware of. And it would move us to a grateful singing that engages our emotions and our thoughts and, and our spiritual being. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you don't desire empty works, but you desire a reverent, humble posture before you in worship. And so God, I ask that you would um, let us experience that now. That uh, maybe for the first time, um, some in here would be honest with you about how they're doing in prayer. Um, that as we sing and these words just help speak for us, that we would sing in honesty the things in our hearts and remember in singing who you are. That we would conduct ourselves with a reverence before you, our great God and King. A level of awe and a level of humble, honest need for you, for you to work out 
the sin that still remains in us? God, would you continue by the power of the Holy Spirit to speak? And would you enable us to listen and obey? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.